is great to see you this morning. If you notice the stage, it's a little different this week. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little longer. So they said that I could preach longer. Okay, maybe not. Maybe they said the opposite. Ron, you said the opposite. I need to preach shorter now that it's longer. Okay, maybe I misunderstood. It is, um, uh, just so you guys know, this has uh, definitely a, been a blessing. Some um, donations have come in. And because it's been earmarked for specifically the auditorium, we're putting the money right towards the auditorium and, and the use here. What is very nice is every time you step now, it's solid. It doesn't squeak. It's not moving on us. Um, it's very nice because it will allow us to actually move the piano out just a little bit and spread out the stage. And um, it was a little nerve-wracking when you move the, st- the piano just a little bit onto the stage beforehand. We were always afraid that it was going to fall because it was too heavy. And so now, um, because of the work of several people, Terry uh, Moore in the sound booth, he has actually headed this entire committee up, and he is doing a fantastic job, put a lot of hours in. Um, this last week, uh, Terry Moore, um, let's, let's make sure I mention the, the guys, Joey Carroll, he was up here a lot as well. Ron Harris was up here. CM Hester, he was up here. And uh, I think Jerry Boucher came up to manage everybody. <laughs> um, who else? I, I, did I get everybody? Roger Honey. Roger Honey as well. And these guys have done a fantastic job. Would you give them a hand for all the work that they've done? They have uh, really, they have put hours, countless hours in this week. And I just wanted to make sure that you, if you get a chance to see them, please let them know how appreciative you are of their efforts and their willingness to to help out the church. It saved us a lot of money by them being willing to do this. And uh, obviously you can see the craftsmanship. The craftsmanship is very well done. And so we're just blessed to have people in the church who are willing to use their gifts. When you have gifts and when you have talents, they're not meant to be kept for yourself. They're meant to be used for God's kingdom. And what we're doing, if you saw the bulletin, just want to do a plug, because right now, if you're not involved, here's, here's what we're doing. We're making it almost impossible for you to say, I don't know where to get involved. Because a few months ago, the committee on teams actually gave a whole lot of extra things for you to get involved in. And just in case you just sidestepped that and thought you were okay, Now, a few months later, here's what we're doing. You see the bulletin. I've actually asked the staff and the different members, I asked them to actually give us numbers, how many people they actually needed to help right now and get involved. And so if you're trying to find a place to serve and get involved, all you have to do, simply look at that sheet, see what you might be interested in and walk out to the back and just put your name down. I promise you, they will be contacting you very soon. If for some reason... If for some reason you look at that sheet and say, I don't like any of these things. My personal email is on the back of the bulletin. You send me an email and say, Heath, I just don't have any clue of where God could use me. And I promise you, I will find you a place to serve somewhere. Is that fair? That's a good deal, isn't it? So you have talents, you have gifts. God expects you to use them to build up his kingdom, to build up his body. So there you go. No more excuses. This week and next week, be praying about where God might want to use you. Even if you've been, been serving before and it's been, you served for 50 years and you're saying, I don't need to do that anymore. I put my time in. Here's what I'd ask. I would ask that you do your part in, in building and leaving a legacy. 
Would you come alongside our new people who are serving? And maybe you come by and you be an assistant or maybe you be a helper and you help them learn how to do what you've done for 50 years. We need your talents. We need your experiences. We need how God has gifted you and all the things that you have learned. We need you to help pour into the next generation because we have a lot of new people coming in and they need to learn how to do what you've done. So maybe you can get involved in that way. And so I just want to say thank you for all of you who make this church happen. This church does not happen just because one person. This church happens because there are many people who are willing to get involved and do their part. And so I want to say thank you to that. Colossians chapter 3, you have your Bibles. I'm going to ask that you turn over there. Do you realize that your job, your work has eternal value? Well, wait a minute, Heath. You know, I'm just, I've got a normal, ordinary job. Wait a minute, Heath. I'm retired. I don't have a job anymore. Whatever you have, whatever you're doing has an eternal value. Even in retirement, there's an eternal value. Well, how do you play out? I I mean, what about, have you ever seen the TV show that actually goes into the dirtiest jobs in America? Have you ever seen that? It grosses you out, some of the jobs. What if you had one of the dirtiest jobs in, in America? Can that job even be and have eternal value? What about just the average, ordinary, you know, I'm just, I just clean up buildings. I'm a finance person. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I'm a truck driver. I'm a scientist. What, what if every job has eternal value? I've asked one of our, um, our members, maybe you know her, Susan Moore. I would ask for her to come on up. She is a school teacher. And she has taken in how she ministers to people. She expands this to understanding that teaching is more than just a normal, ordinary job. And so I asked her to come on up. Would you give her a welcome? Thank you. Yes. Does that help? church body for over 20 years. We first attended First Baptist Southwest when it was We were starving students at Dallas Baptist. We later joined the church when it moved to Westmoreland in Duncanville. We could not believe it when the church voted to move to Grand Prairie because we were about the only ones who actually lived here at the time. Before we joined First Baptist Oak Cliff, we were members for about 10 years at South Park, which is also here in Grand Prairie. I tell you all of this because I really like that my school and church are within miles of each other. I enjoy running into my students and parents in stores and restaurants around town, and I enjoy being able to keep up with many of them. Since this is my 28th year in Grand Prairie Schools, I now have the privilege of teaching my students children, and that's fun too. In fact, I get to reveal, or threaten to reveal, what their parents were like in middle school. Yes, you heard me right, middle school. I love middle school students, and I love teaching. One of my favorite things about teaching is that we always get to end the year and then start over brand new, like tomorrow. I will admit it, I do love my summers and the holidays, but that's not why I teach. Currently, I'm not in the classroom, but I am the gifted and talented specialist at Reagan Middle School. And due to the economy, I will also be at Truman this year. My job is similar to that of an academic dean. 
I miss being in a classroom on a daily basis, but this job allows me to have more opportunities to work one-on-one with students and parents about academics and their struggles. So that has opened new doors for me to minister and live out my faith. Today I'm sharing a personal testimony, but I'm sure many of my thoughts are shared by my fellow educators that are here today. My job is my ministry, and I get paid for it. I've always taught in public school, and I believe the Lord gave me a heart for public school education. I never went into teaching for the money, which is a good thing, but what I gain from being with kids all day is far more valuable than money. To help with organizing my thoughts, I'm going to use the old dependable acrostic, and the word is SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. Now, there's going to be a test at the end, so you've got to be sure and pay attention. S is for smile. I smile a lot. My favorite verse is, The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. I started claiming this verse as my favorite when I was diagnosed with severe rheumatoid arthritis about 25 years ago. I was determined that my disease was not going to rob me of my joy, nor was I going to be remembered by my children or my students as sickly. So with the Lord's help, aggressive doctors, and new medications to help control my disease, I have been truly blessed. I try, I've trained myself to smile through pain, and I have to be honest, a lot of times my face is happier than the rest of my body, but smiling really does make a difference. H for hug. I hug a lot. Several years ago, we were told to quit hugging our students or we could be fired. One of my responsibilities at Reagan is to be an advisor for the National Junior Honor Society. We teach and practice daily lots of leadership skills, along with the importance of a good, firm handshake, keeping eye contact, good posture, etc. But I have found that my students still really need hugs. A, apply. I am able to draw draw from my own past experiences and apply it to my students' lives. In some instances, if a student shares that they're having personal difficulties at home, I have been able to share that my father was an alcoholic, and although I loved and respected my daddy dearly, his sickness caused many heartaches in our family. By sharing this personal story, I can challenge them that they can overcome difficult situations by making lifelong choices to make sure their future family is different. We're able to talk about the importance of being a part of a church or a youth group that can help support them during difficult times. P. Pray. Now that's a joy. I get to pray over my students. Last year, I was helping give the tax test to a student with dyslexia. So I was reading it to him out loud when he stopped me and said, Mrs. Moore, will you pray for me? What an honor. So I stopped immediately and prayed out loud with him, and then we went on with the test. I am happy to say he did pass that test. In our Grand Prairie schools, we start every morning with the Pledge of Allegiance and a moment of silence. At Reagan, nobody moves, no matter where you are in the building, until after the pledges and then and after the few minutes of silence. Several years ago, I decided to seize this opportunity and started praying for whoever I might have in my office or who I might be standing silently by in the hall. And then I let them know that I prayed specifically for them. They have always thanked me with a smile. What a privilege. E, encourage. Wow, we all need encouragement. And do you remember your middle school days? Those can be some of the toughest. So I try to be an encourager every chance I get. Sometimes students show up in my office because they have been caught using bad language or writing nasty notes. Middle school students still write lots of notes. And sometimes they write bad stuff. You may remember those times yourself. 
When they sit down with me, usually embarrassed, I start our conversation by sincerely apologizing to them. Now, it kind of throws them off because they think I'm going to really chew them out or that I'm going to be so disappointed in them. But instead, I let them know how wrong I am for not being more persistent in standing up against the filth on TV, movies, and other media. It always amazes me that we as adults are often shocked by what a child might say or do when we know they are constantly bombarded by this garbage and being robbed of their innocence. We then will discuss the problem, but I always make a point of apologizing first. So the acrostic was shape. Now for the test. S was for? Very good. H for? A. Apply. P for? And E for? The Lord has called all of us to help shape the lives of others no matter where we are. And that is the real test. Thank you so much. I have been amazed as every time I would walk into um, this church and there were new guests and they had been around this area for any number of times, I immediately would introduce them to Susan, but I didn't even have to introduce them to Susan because they already knew Susan and she would remember their names, she'd remember their kids, remembered what sports they played, and immediately there was a connection to not only her, to this church, but then also to what we were doing here, and that is to worship God. Can your job be something that has eternal value? The answer is yes. Colossians chapter 3. We spent the last few weeks talking through how that we are to be interacting. We talked about how that on our jobs and partly as even retired, our goal was to pass on some of these principles that we have learned and how that God has even shaped our story and told us and helped us understand this is how we are supposed to live and how we're supposed to act. And I'm asking, I don't know if many of you have done this, but have you taken the challenge of actually trying to pass it on to somebody? The principles over the last few weeks, passing it on, it's hard, isn't it? And you have to find the right moment when they're ready to listen. You have to find the right moment in which you can say, hey, I just want to share how maybe this principle has applied in my life, and I want to share the story. We are moved and motivated by stories. And again, I would like to ask you this. As you listen today, if you are retired, I would ask that you would do something very important for you and for your lasting legacy. Would you be willing to listen today to hear what you're about to hear and then take and pass it on to somebody else? One, we need to apply it to our lives. But two, in passing it on, You're giving somebody a real picture of what the Word of God is telling us to do. Colossians chapter 3, we talked uh, the first week, we talked about how that we are to obey. We need to come under the authorities. How that our authorities actually have authority in our lives and how that God works through authorities. And when we place ourselves under and when we submit to the authorities in our lives, no matter who they are, no matter what they are, whether they're godly or not, that when we do that, it allows God to have the opportunity to work through us. We also talked last week on how that we are to do what's right no matter what. That's hard, isn't it? Because it's the integrity and it's the small things. Sometimes we think that it's the integrity in the large things, the large decisions, the, the decision make when it's a turning point. 
But God is calling us to actually do the right thing, even in the little things. Colossians 3 now. You ready? Colossians 3, I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. Colossians 3, and we're going to be looking at several uh, several verses today. Here's what it says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to come in to this place and to be able to worship you. God, I am thankful for the opportunity to be able to stand now and to look into your word. God, I'm asking that as we look into your word, that God, you would be magnified, that God, you would be glorified. I pray that we would not push back, but God, that we would actually lean hard into your word today. And as we hear from you, God, I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Did you catch in verse 23, it says, whatever you do? It doesn't give us a pass, does it? Whatever you do. Do you remember the verse where it says that whatever you eat, drink, whatever you're doing, that you're supposed to bring praise and honor to God? And as you're working, here's what I want to make sure that we catch today is this. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you're currently involved in now, this does not give you a pass to say, well, I don't like this job. This is just a junk job. This is just getting me by. This is just giving me some little extra cash on the side. It doesn't give us a pass. It's not saying when you get your dream job. It's not saying when the job is the best that you could ever think of. It is not even saying that when your job is and your boss is great. It says, whatever you are doing, and that means now. Isn't that interesting? Because here's what we try to do. We try to think that what I'm working at, the actual job that I'm doing, maybe is the most important. So if it's not something that's religious, then obviously it doesn't really matter. If I worked at Dallas Baptist University, if I worked in a church situation, then that's what really matters. But since I'm not working in the environment of a religious organization, then it doesn't really matter. It get a pass. And here's what I want us to catch today. There is not a secular and sacred divide. Everything that you are doing has a spiritual side. It's all tied together. Now, if if we were going to get into a a, a large philosophical debate and walk us through how we got to the secular sacred, we could spend some time with the Greeks, the Stoics. We could spend some time with Aristotle, and we could start talking about how that, you know, they started teaching how the physical was actually bad and the, the spiritual was the good. And then we could spend some time with, I mean, we could just keep going with Augustine, the tale of two cities. We could just keep walking through and we could keep bouncing around and start talking about how the faith and reason and how logic came in and how we walked through all this. But here's one of the things I want to stop on. I want to show you that even as close as Industrial Revolution, 1830 and behind, when the Industrial Revolution hit America, it has radically changed and allowed us and caused us to start living compartmentalized. Here's what I mean by that. During the Industrial Revolution, what happened was it radically shifted how we function and how we work. Men, for the first time, were taken out of the homes, and they went to work. 
And what began to happen was this. Before this period, men would actually work and the families would work together and the spouse would work together. The entire families would work together at the family business. And when the husband would pass, the widow would continue on the family trade and the family business. She knew all the, she had all the same skills. She knew how to run the business. It wasn't abnormal for the family business to continue because they were all working together. In the Industrial Revolution, what happens is now the men are separated from the families. And what began to happen is this. You can see it even in sermons during the colonial period of the United States. When preachers would talk about parenting, do you know who the primary focus was? To the men. Once you hit the Industrial Revolution, the primary focus in preaching for parenting was all centered on the females. You start seeing a divide. You start walking through, and as it plays out just a little further, what begins to happen is that the women now were, were to take care of the softer side of the world. They were to take care of the parenting. They were to take care of the religious. And the men were to go out and take care of the physical. Are you guys tracking with me for just a minute? What began to happen is now all the faith, the reason, all the logic, all the philosophical things that we had been taught, now the Industrial Revolution now began to move us beyond and to compartmentalize our lives. And you and I, while we don't know any different, we have never seen, we haven't learned, we haven't actually been a part of something different. Here's the way we live. We live as if our lives are very compartmentalized. As if this one part, my work, doesn't impact my family. As if my family doesn't impact my morals. But yet the reality is this. We are a holistic being. The physical, emotional, the spiritual, our social side, they're all tied together. And the Bible tells us that whatever you do, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whatever you're doing. And right now, here's, here's Paul writing to slaves. Remember, he's writing to slaves. Slaves just want to let you know, whatever your master is asking you to do, whatever you are doing, you are to do it differently. It matters what you are doing. You guys catching this? This is so revolutionary. If we would understand that there's not periods in our lives where this was just a junk job. This is just a, a time to pass or what I'm doing currently doesn't really matter because I've already done everything that was important in my life. It's all behind me. No, what you're doing now, whatever you do matters. Last night I had the opportunity and the privilege to take my kids over to, uh, to um, see Bethany, Bethany Hamilton. This is the, the girl whose story was just released on a movie uh, called Soul Surfer. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, my kids have watched the movie, and then we went over and we got to spend some time just listening to Bethany tell her story. And we were just captivated in it all. And you know what she does? They ask her what's one of her favorite verses, and she pulls out this verse, Colossians 3. She says, whatever I'm doing... That included surfing. That includes the talk shows. She says, whatever I'm doing. Isn't that amazing? And then the Bible continues on. It says to do what? Do it heartily as unto the Lord. To work with passion, zest, zeal, giving 100%. John Wooden was a, a famous basketball coach. He's won more. He's won more championships than anybody else. 
And in practice, he, he would tell his, his, his team and his young men, he would say, men, just want to let you know, you must give 100% every day. If you decide today that you're going to give 80%, and you give 80% today in practice with the thinking that ne- the next day, tomorrow, I'm going to give 120%, and I'll make up for it. He said, here's the problem. You can never give more than 100%. So you cannot ever make up that 20% that you left off in today's practice. You can never give more. So you don't get to give 110, 120 to make up for the slacking off. And what Paul is writing, he says, I want you to work. And he asks slaves, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter if it's a junk job. It doesn't matter if it just feels like it's useless. Whatever you are doing, you are to work with passion and zeal, giving it 100% of all your energy and all your effort heartily to the Lord. What would happen if we did this? We actually worked heartily, giving 100%. As if we were responsible, not just for the task at hand, before how the overall task went, taking personal responsibility, corporate responsibility, taking ownership in it all. It would change how we worked, even if, even if we weren't the main leader. It was written to slaves, wasn't it? Written to us who maybe we find ourselves in a place in which we're saying, man, I feel like I'm just working for the man. I'm just working for the system. I'm just working for, to actually take ownership and buy in 100%. That's a radical change, isn't it? Move on. What else does it say? It says to work heartily for the Lord. And it says this. Not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. Did you ever think about that the way you're working, the way you're working right now, that God's actually watching and God's determining what type of reward you should get. It's kind of hard to separate that, isn't it? Because many times when we think about rewards, what do we think about? We think about, hey, did I evangelize? Hey, did I, did I actually teach well? What if you understood it in the fact that whatever you're doing, God is watching, he's seeing, he's taking account to see how heartily you're working, how well you're working, how well you're coming under the authority, how well you're actually being faithful with what he has given you. We think about performance. We think about performance, and many times when we see performance, we say, I don't really want to work hard. I don't know if I want to work that hard. Let me give you just a couple ideas on performance. You ready? Performance is not replaced by good character. Well, I have good character. I just don't feel like I have to give 100%. I don't feel like I have to go that far. I have good morals. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't go with girls who do. You know, you just, whatever you want to say with that. But what the problem is, is that poor work, poor performance is actually a sign of poor character. Watch this. You ready? Performance. The greater the performance the greater the level of influence that you will have. Why is it 
Why is it that professional athletes have so much influence? Because their stage has become broader with the influence because of their performance. And they'll say, I don't want this. I don't want to be the hero. But yet, the greater the performance, the greater the stage for influence. You want to be able to influence your boss? You want to be able to influence your company? You want to be able to influence your teachers? You want to be able to influence and you pass this on. How do you do it? Do your best. Give it everything you've got. And when you do, part of the reward is that God will give you greater influence. We don't have great influence many times as Christians because we don't exceed expectations. We do the bare minimum. And in doing the bare minimum, we lose the leverage and the opportunity to gain more influence. But what if we worked heartily unto the Lord? What if we began to live in such a way to say, wait a minute, it's not for men, but it's for God. And God is going to see how I'm working right now. In the future, do you realize that how well you manage things here plays an impact on how much you get to manage in heaven? Isn't that hard to think about? You see, when you're faithful over the little, God blesses with more. And that is not just a principle here on earth. It's a principle for even eternity. So how does God judge right now? Your work, my work. It is not based on that I'm the best in the industry. It's not based on how far I succeed or excel. It's based on my faithfulness in this moment. Isn't that freeing? Because you and I, no matter who we are, no matter how successful or let's say unsuccessful we are, if I'm being judged by God and I'm being judged according to verse 22, how well I obey, how that I serve, not with just when the boss is looking. I'm not serving to please people. I'm serving with a sincere heart, authentically, fearing God. When I understand that whatever I'm doing, I can work giving it 100%. As for the Lord, then God gives the reward. You see, the standard is the same for you and me. The standard is the same whether you're in the church or whether you're outside the church. It's the same. Now watch with this, because here's where it's going to get a little strong. You ready? You're serving the Lord. Your boss isn't your boss. It's truly, ultimately, God. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. You choose to serve God. And here's what God is saying. If your boss is mistreating you, your company's mistreating you. He, you just don't understand. They lie and they tell us it's the economy, but really they just, they didn't want to give us bonuses. They, they lied to us and they, they, they just really didn't want to actually, you know, they just wanted to cut jobs. It's not really the economy. It's just, there are a bunch of liars over there. The wrongs, no matter what's been committed towards you, God also sees that. 
Isn't that freeing? To know that I don't have to go and try to get retribution. I don't have to try to get retaliation and revenge. My job is to work as hard as I can for the Lord. To bring him glory, to bring him honor. Why do you put so much effort into something that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal? Because it's for God. It's not for you. And the Bible says that if somebody does wrong to you, they'll be repaid. The flip is also true. If you choose not to work the way it was just described in whatever you're doing, you ready for this? There's also an account for you where God says, you will also be held accountable for that. And I hate the last wording of that. Did you see it? It says no, there's no partiality. Because I like to think that Heath Marion gets a pass. I, I would love to live in that world. And many times I try to live in that world where I'm the exception, I get exempt from whatever God is saying. But in the word of God, it says there's no exemptions. Isn't that tough? So here's where I want to end. You ready? Here's your three thoughts as we end today. You ready? I think you might, again, want to write these down so that you have at least a framework in which you can, one, review it for yourselves, apply it to your lives, and then two, that maybe you can have a framework in which you can talk to your kids, your grandkids about this. So number one, how you work, how you work is more important than your place of employment or how much you're getting paid. That's good. Because what we want to make the, the emphasis on is how much I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid enough or I'm not getting paid enough. I want to make the emphasis on, ooh, I work at this company. And we kind of strut because we work at that company. That's not the, it's how you work. Two, you ready? Passion. Passion for your work. We just talked about giving 100%. Passion for your job, passion for what you're doing. You ready? Passion for your work does not come from where you work. Passion for your work does not come from what you do. Passion for your work doesn't come from how much you get paid. Are you ready? Passion for your work, here's where it comes from. <laughs> it comes from your goal and your desire to bring God glory. Do you see the difference? Because as a Christ follower, as a Christ follower and my goal, my life is to do one thing and one thing only. That's to bring God praise and God glory. Heath, why do you work so hard when this is a junk job? Why do you work so hard? And you can just lay it out. Well, you put your name in it. Why do you do what you're doing? You ready? Because I want to bring God glory. Why do you want to bring God glory so much? Because you need to know how much God has done for me. His grace to take me. His grace to take me, one who was an enemy of God who did not like God to love me so much that he says, Heath, I love you enough to send my son to die on a cross to pay for your sins. To pay for your sins 
And then he, I just want to let you know that Jesus now has risen again. He's in heaven. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees Jesus. And he sees you as a person who's been clothed in the righteousness of God. And every day you wake up, Heath, I'm going to give you enough grace to go through the difficulties and the hardships that you're going to go through. I've already given you enough grace. I've already seen what's going to happen today, and I'm going to give you extra and above to deal with what you're dealing with. I'm telling you, it motivates you to say, God, I want to give you everything in my life, and I want to do everything for your glory. So, God, when I sit down to lunch, praise God, I can eat for your glory. Whatever I want to do. Number three, you ready? Number three. When we work for Jesus, when he's your boss, you ready? It allows God to bless your work. You want to see God move on your behalf? You want to see God completely do a, a work in your life, in colleagues around you? You want to see God revolutionize and change and radically move? You start following these principles and you start working for Jesus as if he's your boss. It allows the opportunity for God to move on your behalf. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. They're going to prepare as they prepare. Here's your challenge. Your challenge is, we have now talked about three different things coming under this authority. We've now talked about doing right no matter what. And today, we talked about how that we are to work with passion. Whatever we're doing, we're to work with passion. There's no divide. So today, here's your challenge. You ready? Your challenge is to go for three days this week. And in those three days, to live out these principles, to take Jesus to work with you. Your, your challenge, if you're not going to work, is whatever you're going to do today, because I know this next week you have certain places you're going to go to, whether it's getting your hair fixed, whether it's going to the gym, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, to pass on these three things. Try it. See how God opens up opportunities for you to talk to the next generation about how God has worked in your life.